Okay, we have another episode, and today's episode is about um, organizing, and we had an episode 136 with the workers' union, with workers' dignity union rights, and, um, and you know, we talked about the issues they had with organizing, and when I did that episode, even before the episode, when I was watching this play out online, I was like, you know, these are things that I've gone through. These are things that some stuff that, that Derek has gone through. There's a lot of parallels um, within organizing that I think, you know, we as people, we go, we, you know, we, we become adults at 18 and we go, we want to do good things as like in organizing, but we always hit hurdles and nobody's there to guide us to how to organize, right? And, the, and they don't talk to us about these hurdles. So a lot of young people go to organizing, they get burnt out and then they drop out or they become just something jaded, you know? And I think we're here to talk about some of these issues and probably give advice how to navigate these issues, you know? So um, with, uh, who wants to go first for uh, intro? I'll introduce myself, um, Derek, uh, co-host and um, yeah, most of y'all probably know me, uh, Black Chamorro, uh, Irish, and yeah, most just a um, communist, anti-colonial communist. And then I guess I'll go. Uh, my name is Cecilia Prado. I am a labor and community organizer or political worker um, and strategist based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was on the previous episode. I uh, was um, leading a worker center in Nashville for about four years until it imploded in a very public way. And um, excited to be here. Hello. Uh, some people call me Steel. Some people call me Crow. But everyone knows I'm that bitch. So I am a. Uh, I'm a chef, a cook, a restaurant worker. Uh, I am a Marxist-Leninist communist. I am a trans woman, and I am uh, better at politics than uh, all of you uh, listening. I don't know. Rick seems pretty good at politics, but... <laughs> uh, I've, I've also just got a big, big old mouth, and... Um, I was uh, in with the strike of workers' dignity. Um, I, uh, Cecilia and I became friends over that, and I posted a big medium article breaking up with the entire organizing community and kind of organizing communities in general. Uh, but we can talk about that uh, later. Okay, so thank you everybody for your intros. Um, and I, I do want to say that this episode is not to you know, point out only the negative stuff in organizing. We want to point out uh, the stuff that people could go through. The main, like when I, so I've been around the block for 20 years, right? And from the late 90s to early to now. So uh, I've been in different organizations, Los Angeles and in, in San Antonio, San Diego. And I see a lot of patterns. There's a lot of patterns that break up our organizations that, you know, I think they're unprincipled. And I think um, it's it's really it's really sad sometimes. I, I, I sometimes I join organizations and I, I think, hey, you know, these organizations are 
this is a really good idea or this is really good group of people. But then there's things that, you know, uh, break them down. And we can't always say it's off. Sometimes people just break down themselves. You know, there's there's like bad, bad vibes or bad energy or, you know, we're not taught. This is not something that's taught in school. We're not taught how to organize. The state doesn't want us to know how to organize, right? They want us to be, you know, disorganized. So I think this is hopefully a thing we can um, move forward. Steele, you heard hand up. Yeah, I actually wanted to uh, disagree or maybe complicate your point. We do, we are taught this in school. Uh, we're taught a lot about how political change happens and should happen and what the correct way to do things is where people are held up uh, figures martin luther king's harvey milks uh politicians and generals and such these people are shown to us as like these are the individuals that you should model yourself after if you want to be if you want to make positive change in the world and um while martin luther king is a very good figure and a very good model for us and how we should conduct ourselves uh if you do want to change things the version that they tell us about is definitely not so yeah 100 they are co-opt these figures yeah and but um all right so i think the first point we have here is that we you know brought out is uh when you first get into organizing um like fighting a party a lot of people try to find a party or organization that best resembles their point of views. Well, this is good. And this, you know, cost, sometimes it costs people to be purist and they never end up, or sometimes they never end up joining a party. Others say, oh, this party right here is, you know, um, it's good, but they have these points of view. And I have this issue too. I mean, I, for like, you know, a while I, I, I join parties and I sometimes I see they don't understand the colonization. And I talked about this in the podcast, but I do try to join these organizations and do give the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, I try to give, you know, resources, educational stuff so they can learn. Um, I think only when when I when I experience hostility and racism, that's when I take a step back. But, you know, I do think, um, there's no such thing as a perfect communist party in the U.S. at all. So I don't know if anybody wants to chime in with point one. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing that our movements are not getting is that um, specifically, I think, in um, Western countries uh, or the U.S., which is where I have experience in, is that our movements or organizations or parties are not appealing to just normal people, right? That we are losing. They are completely run by, you know, petty bourgeois, uh, the downwardly moral um, offspring of like middle class people. Um, you know, we see this all over DSA. There's a class character to our movements. It's not appealing to normal people. And we cannot have a successful communist movement without the support of the masses. And so we're missing one key step that is going to protect us and make us, you know, who we are as a movement. You can't have a working class movement without the working class, right? 100%. Anybody else? Anybody else? I will say that um, I have not encountered... Uh, I've not engaged fully with the purity fetish by Midwestern marks who I know Rick is not a huge fan of. Um, but I, um, do agree at least with the summaries that I've, uh, encountered 
of theirs because yeah the issue is largely that people don't want to go outside of their bubbles people don't want to actually engage with real working class people who you know are problematic in small ways and large ways and um similarly it's it's much like the ways that they engage with uh other countries uh if a country is uh less than the shining beacon of uh liberation and justice and equality then they write it off uh from their chauvinist perspective uh and they make no room for critical support in a similar way they have no ability to really engage with people outside of like a very narrow uh view of let's just like this is what good people look like we have to collect good people and put them all together in a space and then good things will happen because all of the good people are together as opposed to like actually just trying to make people better just try to teach people how to be better <laughs> um i think that uh people mistake organizing as like something that you go to a place to do as opposed to just like looking around you at the places that you are and doing stuff there i'm not going to organize my workplace by going to a bunch of lectures and talking with a bunch of people who are interested in organizing workplaces i'm going to organize my workplace by talking to my coworkers and engaging with them mm -hmm. and trying to help them become uh awaken help help them wake up you know just help them mm -hmm. achieve that self actualization that self realization that ability to put themselves in front of their lives and mm -hmm. take the wheel and help them to understand that they have the power to change things thank you Derek your hand up Yep. Uh, so just a couple of, uh, I think, major themes I wanted to hit on. Uh, a couple of them I think we've we've talked about. I know I uh, maybe it was a stream with the uh, uh, subversive history guys, but I, I know I brought up um, Kim Il-sung's uh, speech on dogmatism and uh, formalism, I, th I think. Those are two phenomenon that have come up, I think, consistently from from what people's testimonies are to uh, the the problems that they face in organizing. Um, adventurism. Uh, there's a text by Lenin on adventurism. I think uh, applies to a lot of what we see uh, problems in our spaces, and then uh, the curriculum, the pedagogy the pedagogy or like whatever ha uh ha what happens in our reading groups you know what we're studying in our reading groups um the education of our organizers like so uh in of course the black panthers they had a policy where you know if you're if you haven't gone through the curriculum you know they don't really trust you to go out and educate the masses because you know that it their problems with people being misinformed and spreading the wrong ideas. So I think getting on the on the right page in terms of 
curriculum. Uh, that's a problem that I've faced in a reading group I was in. And I honestly, a lot of the curriculums that I see as important as the core theorists are, uh, something that we try to do on this podcast a lot. And, you know, Rick has helped me with my education on uh, the colonial situation here. Uh, I think that's that's really that's a huge thing that's missing because it's it uh sets the sets the goal sets the uh it, it helps us understand the material conditions that we're in uh which you know as much as there is to learn from uh the USSR and China and um every other uh of the the more often uh covered in our curriculums uh revolutionary projects um communist projects uh this is very different the united states conditions here very different Re it, it requires us to learn about them like uh you know like we, what we're doing and with the with the subversive history guys going over the great father i think this is all stuff that people need to learn in uh the education aspect of our uh, of what we do, you know, the educate, agitate, organize. Uh, yeah, I think our education needs to be a lot better. Um, so yeah, those are the major points, I think, that I've, the major problems I've seen. Thank you. Yeah, I think I want to move to the next point. Uh, well, you know, just to say at this point, advice, you don't have to be a purist, or the party doesn't be a purist. Even people, even influencer, influencers online, like I see them sometimes like they say some weird stuff, right? And like you brought up a crow, you brought up um, Midwestern marks, and some of this, yeah, everybody, like you know, some people say have some good points, but I think the moment for me where I say, hey, you you are like not a comrade, you're like the enemy, is when you start dismissing people's liberation and people like that are dismiss people's liberation at that point. And that he has openly been against decolonization, right? So and and has been supportive of empowering the white working class which is like the i just roll my eyes i gotta say that article that that pat patriotic socialism article that uh they published uh was really bad <laughs> it was really horrible yeah sure but, but. I, I think the question then is just like where do you go from there just where like what do you do with that what you engage you you find uh people who ostensibly are on the road to liberation and uh fighting for other people's liberation encouraging other people to seek their own liberation and uh you they say something that you disagree with well that's a good question uh, yeah. Lenin had a really good model for this if we want to you know talk about the ussr um he excoriated them in his newspaper <laughs> and um i think that the thing of value that midwestern marx does is that they put their ideas down and they uh publish uh real th uh theoretical doctor uh, uh sorry real theoretical uh pieces and they argue their points and they uh try to put those ideas out there and present present them for scrutiny and I think a lot of the organizing communities in the U.S. don't do that mm -hmm. enough where they're not engaging in that theoretical battlefield. You know, the mm -hmm. uh, battlefield of ideo ideology is just as important as the material battlefield 
we have to be fighting on all fronts at all times. Yeah. And so if we're going to liberate people from bourgeois ideology, then we have to introduce them to proletarian ideology. Mm -hmm. And if there are people who are are if there are people who are presenting themselves as the proletarian ideology and we have disagreements with them, then we should uh in no uncertain terms mm -hmm. uh present our disagreements. And oh yeah, uh, we do that. I mean yeah. we meet meet Derek of course. And I, yeah, do that all the of time. Course. Yeah. And I think it's the, it's the moment when you dismiss other people's liberation for white white fragility, and it's that's what Midwest and Mark does. So I think, yeah, he can be a proletarian, he can call himself proletarian. And I don't, I don't want to get too much into this this person, but I think, you know, uh, he put his stuff out there, we, we scrutinize it. The only thing he has ever done is uh, twist our words, you know, and, and dismiss again. And, and uh, what's, how, how, which anchors down, which, anchored, anchored down to against decolonization. And, you know, which is I, an entirely other thing of just like the, yeah, the social media vortex that we're all caught in yeah, encourages exactly. us to be like, um combative instead of really engaging each other mm -hmm. in our point and um that's why the a the all african people's revolutionary party and uh uh black alliance for peace to my understanding discourages posting of po posting those kinds of treatises online or not online but like in social media spaces where uh that kind of behavior is the is the norm I mean, I think that just in general, something that I, like if we're going to really talk about what are the issues with the left, why don't we see regular people, ordinary people in the thousands or millions that we need? Um, yeah, so we are not appealing to normies and why, like if we are going to delayer that issue. I mean, I'm just seeing um, something that um, still was saying, which was the fact that we completely took um, stop practicing like scientific socialism, right? You have uh, one group of people that might be able to read all the theory and read capital and all the in these uh, reading groups, but they are not engaged on the ground where you know knowledge also must come from, right? We are, we need to uh, read theory. We need to uh, assess our conditions and analyze, observe our conditions. We need to make predictions based on the combination of those two. And then we need to test them, right? And we need to um, then assess and evaluate and change our uh, framework of thinking if um, our hypothesis wasn't right. And we have completely lost uh, this ability. And so we're not able to grow our body of knowledge and we continue to read texts from um, you know, even like, uh, you know, decades or, you know, over, over 100 years ago, and people are like, why are you still reading this? Why are you not reading something new? It's like, well, we actually love the practice. We put the theory in confined in academia and left uh, the organizations to just be completely apolitical in a sense. Um, you know, even though they call themselves a community organizations, they say that, you know, this is the U.S. left. But there's not a clarity, there's no political clarity in our organizations. Um, we don't agree on the root causes of oppression. We obviously do not agree uh, in so many different things. We need to build alignment. So that's going to take some serious conversations and conflict and leaning into that. And we're also just not good at conflict. Um, we are. We don't understand collectivism, right? So just in the last 50 years, um, 
you know, we our movements have been fully controlled by um, the agenda of um, the neoliberal agenda. And they, it has completely permeated our spaces. It has um, induced this individualist culture. And at the same time, we are in the United States, right? Like most of the jobs out there, um, you know, the manufacturing jobs are not here um, anymore in, in the numbers that they used to be. You have uh, industry moved elsewhere. And instead here, the proletariat is quite isolated in some aspects comfortable. Um, and in most cases, just completely isolated from community and from the process that it takes to like make stuff. And so we don't understand collectivity. We don't understand why uh, it's important to be organized uh, or how organizing happens. Um, you know, it has roots in colonialism, but you know, the American exceptionalism, just thinking that, you know, um, we're gonna be okay, that America is gonna, that the United States is gonna figure it out or is, um, you know, better than other countries. Um, and just because we took the science outside from the streets, we also just have become so obsessed with tactics and not with creating a long-term strategy. We, our organizations do not have an analysis of the root causes and structure of the systems of oppression. We do not have, uh, they do not, most of organizations out there do not have an analysis of power and understand, you know, what, uh, how to, how to practice politics, how to, um, you know, move forces and align them onto a particular position. And ultimately that means that we are not creating long-term agendas. And so we are not guiding our decisions and choices in tactics by a larger strategy. We're not, we don't understand what consolidation means. And so like all of these things combined just means that our, um, you know, we just have this reactionary. So I, I would say, but you know, what Steele said and what Cecilia said right now, like they literally cover sport B, C, and D. <laughs> so, like, what? So then now, my my question would be, what? How maybe you you, you know it was covered a little bit by steel, but how? What's the, the advice or solution to move away? Because I I would say you know even. I mean, like I. I, I do agree there's, there's a lack of collectivism in this country. And I think when people get into organizations, it's, there's so many things that happen, you know. Uh, it's just, I'm gonna talk specifically about like quote unquote revolutionary organizations or organizations that are like, you know, for to help immigration, immigrants or, or any other type of immigration, you know, uh, organization like a pro, pro-abortion or like LGBT. I feel like there's always uh, these same tactics, you know, uh, even with the native organizations, uh, the petty bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie leadership, lack of collectivism in the West, uh, there's liberalism, right? Uh, there's adventurism. And how do we, I mean, this is like nonstop experience this. How do we, uh, do we try to guide people like, hey, this is wrong, comrade? Or do we, or, you know, what, what, what are advices you guys get? I don't want, you know. It's a difficult problem because the questions are so many um and i think that more clearly identifying the problem is a uh real uh can be very helpful in that and uh a part of that is that like walking that path that's been laid out for us 
you know, the path of least resistance, uh, the paths that other people have been walking for so long, which have led nowhere. And I think that you can learn a lot of lessons walking those paths, but you're not ultimately going to make more progress than the people who uh, already already down those paths. You know, it's uh, at a certain point, you have to understand that it's leading towards the, the edge of a cliff. And, you know, maybe climbing a mountain is really hard, but it, it it'll at least take you somewhere different than like the places that people have already paved this extended metaphor is a bit troublesome uh i joined the organizations and i i went through and joined uh, different organizations around nashville tennessee for a really long time looking for people who knew what they were doing and were doing the things that i wanted to do and i didn't ever really find them uh, because I was always seeking uh, liberation <laughs> for all peoples. I was seeking the real movement for um, liberation of all peoples. Uh, that is communism. And uh, they were invested largely in self-aggrandizement, uh, social spaces, which they felt comfortable in. And uh, just kind of like uh, this, the the feeling that they were doing something rather than like an actual effort towards doing and towards accomplishing real gains. I have found in the organizing community, and I'm not sure if this, you know, holds across the U.S., but I'm fairly confident that the issues here are not isolated to here. Uh, we on the, the Western left is useless because it does not seek to be useful. Uh, there is a very purposeful, uh, intentional, just a uh, lack of mo lack of forward movement uh, because so many of these settler motherfuckers don't feel too comfortable in in the current conditions the labor aristocracy uh the uh, people of privilege homeowners they have they they have reached a sufficient point where they do not feel in their souls the need for liberation uh <laughs> and i i think that that's the major issue is that we just fundamentally have a different understanding of how necessary these things are i'm a black trans woman i'm uh not going to find comfort in this nation you are an indigenous man your people are constantly being slaughtered uh and you you, you exist in a post apocalypse uh i'm like we we are so invested you and i in the absolute destruction of the society cecilia is an immigrant whose people who who fled uh her home because of uh the violence perpetrated by imperialism we're we're not going to uh, find any way to invest ourselves in this society unless we fundamentally betray ourselves and the people that we care about and so we uh you know, we have fundamentally different goals 
than the other organizers. So what do you, you do from there is you you go back and you study history. You just study history and you do the things that Lenin did and you do the things that Mao did and you do the things that every revolutionary has done because change is possible and I firmly believe that and I have to believe that. And the Rob Banks. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Still give your hand up. In, in Fortnite. In Fortnite. Yeah. Cecilia, so, you had your hand up. I mean, when like Crow is talking about like homeowners and the people, the labor aristocracy, people who are being very comfortable in order to actually um, even be invested in like transformative change. Uh, I gotta say, like, then why do we let these people like rule our organizations that are supposed to be the containers for working class people to become uh, the leaders that we need in order? for our class to um, emancipate itself, right? So, and, or sometimes, you know, they might be people that could belong to the proletariat, but, you know, the professional managerial class, right? The downwardly mobile people that still might be um, grounding their politics in, in a way that is reactionary and are actually like revolutionary. And so why do our organizations, our nonprofits, our unions, our collectives even, right? Like, why are they, like, led by people who normal working class people don't fuck with, right? And so that's one key sign that, you know, we're not in the right track. Uh, we need to start building organizations that are aligned, um, that have political clarity, that understand root causes of oppression. That means we need to find alignment. We need to learn how to lead into conflict um, for the sake of it. Then we need to find the leaders among the masses, just regular people. And those are the folks that like need to be leading our, our organizations, our containers, our structures, um, and be able to um, base our strategies like grounded in our political clarity, in a true analysis of power and in um, like a real vision, right? Start consolidating our resources into a real vision. And we don't have that. Yeah, thank you. Derek, give your hand up. Yeah. Um, uh, I think in our, uh, in our education, in, in our uh, strategizing, I think there's we're we're overlooking ov overall. I mean, a lot of this just has to do with sensibilities. You know, people have different sensibilities, as a as we're all alluding to. So, uh, depending on what community you come from, um, you you'll have sensibilities. You know that reflect that. Uh, you know, that's basic smart, basic marks, right? 101 is uh, your uh, your consciousness is determined by your material conditions. And, you know, here in the settler colonies, uh, you know, there's a there's a colonial um, a colonial mentality. That's, you know, the cultural he hegemony. And, uh, you know, that's it has a lot to do with the ideological indoctrination all the way through the you know the institutions of education here um all that obvious all that very obvious stuff and i think we had there's a lot to a lot to learn from some historical examples that i think are overlooked in our 
historical. A lot of what we try to go over, um, even Fanon, I'd say, is just like just broadly misunderstood as <laughs> as a uh, theorist um, by a lot of people who read read him. Um, and the, there's a book. I, I think it's uh, it's it's criminally um, underread. Is uh, dying colonialism where he. Uh, details where Fanon details the Algerian revolution and Algeria has a lot of it it's definitely not the exact same conditions as here in terms of being a settler colony but it's very you know similar it has you know a large European population uh even still um and it it just has much more similar conditions, or or just at least a lot to learn from, uh, in terms of how uh, the anti colonial struggle there pr progressed. Uh, the The final chapter I think has a lot in terms of like the, uh, you know, the I, I think a lot of the debates lately with the you know the national character of whatever movement. It, which is highly debated uh and you know the i think the um the prevailing the prevailing uh conceptualization of what the national character of a movement here should be is not anti-colonial i'd say i'd say like you know uh not to make call outs but like you know cpusa like you know it's uh in the name you know in the name of the party is um usa so that kind of gives you an idea of like the national character of you know that that organization although i know people in it that uh um would like to change that <laughs> change that name uh but you, you know there's other uh there's other examples of uh you know communists throughout the world in history maki the I, I think i bring this up all the time now but like i see a lot of similarities between maki the uh communist party of israel which, as you can imagine, had uh, not a lot to say about the colonial situation there, but did a lot of uh, labor, uh, you know, organizing, but not around the uh, the idea of decolonization. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels there. I think there's a lot of parallels. I think we have to look at the other settler colonies, like Israel, like uh, Ro former Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. Um, South Africa, the EFF, I think there's so many parallels between what the EFF, the conditions in the EFF uh, in South Africa, um, and what the EFF is doing to, I think there's so much that the left here has to learn uh, in, in the Western Hemisphere from the EFF and what they're doing. Um, and yeah, I'd, I say that, uh, I don't see that, um, I, I don't see a lot of people covering even the EFF, the, the general strike. Um, I didn't see a lot of coverage of that here in the Western Hemisphere. Um, but yeah, there should be. Thank you. Um, you know, so I think maybe we should uh, maybe move on to the next thing. But before we move, I do want to say, you know, you're looking for an organization out to join. Um, organizations here are not perfect. Uh, always try to um, push, push, you know, you know, being part of the community, I think, uh, 
Steele made a good point, like they're not part of the community. Oh, was it Cecilia that made that point? They're not part of the community. They, they go to these stutter groups and then they become like near bubbles, right? And I think that's an issue. Um, I, I've seen, you know, some organizations that do step out and they're not well known, but um, and they're, they're different organizations within the US. I pay attention to different orgs and they do really good jobs. Right to, to be part of the community. I think your organ when you were when you were Cecilia were organizing with the you were doing a good job with that, you know. And I was like very impressed until the situation that crumbled the organization to pieces. I think that's the issue, really. It wasn't that, you know, what you the work you were doing is that that was eventually going to fail. It's that there were people involved, like bad leadership. You know, there was adventurism, liberalism, as we were saying, you know, before, petty bourgeois leadership that caused these things to fail. So even as a community could have a, you know, good, a good organization, if they have these traits within the organization, it could cause the organization to fail, right? And I think it's up to people within the community, people within the organization to kind of prevent that, to, 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 uh, uh, what's that word? To um to identify and be like, okay, this is starting to be a problem. You know, there's always going to be pushback by this poor leadership, but I think you know we have to have, integrity is a big part of it too, right? It's not just education about communists; it's having integrity within yourselves, you know, or within your 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 community, uh, within people within your organization. But still, you have something to say. Yeah, I was going to um just piggyback off of what you were saying to say that like yeah when you're looking for an organization you should always look at like what tangible goods have the organization achieved it's always the it, it is now my primary question is like what have you actually done to help people because an organization could have been around for a decade and have made no real impact on the community people might not even know who the org the community might not even be able to tell you anything about that organization because they just do not have contact on the ground with the people in their day-to-day -day lives and uh you know you don't want to become a service org obviously that's antithetical to what uh the real movement for liberation is and that's why they uh got they kicked cecilia out of workers dignity is because she wanted it to be more than a um service organization but we need what tangible goods have you done for the community uh or economist or or, or an economist organization you definitely don't want to slip into economism but i now am going to be ruthless moving forward and just when i'm looking at an organization and when i'm possibly uh when i'm considering engaging with it i'm going to ask what have you actually done for the community? What goods have you brought? How have you really, how has the situation that you're engaging in evolved the problem? Like, have you made it worse? Have you made it better? Have you achieved any movement on it whatsoever? Because like worse isn't necessarily bad. Sharpening the contradictions can sometimes be a, a, a very positive uh, thing in the long run. But if you've, been working on a problem for 10 years and it hasn't changed at all you've made no measurable impact on it then there's no why why are you even doing it in the first place 
Yes. I do want to say before, Cecilia, before you go, uh, there's two points. Uh, Derek made a point about the Communist Party USA. And I think if you add it with Steele's point about what have you done, right? I mean, this organization's been around for almost 100 years now, right? And what have you what have you done, right? And, but but at this but at the same time, sorry, my mic was by my ear. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, uh, I do see just like Derek said, there are people within the party that understand or starting to understand decolonization, decolonial Marxism better than most people, other people that I know. They they are trying to change the chapter, trying to change the party, and actually actually have optimism for Communist Party. So I hope that it changes, you know, and they become something bigger than they are, you know, and a better ally, right? And I don't, I, like I said, they, they do have flaws, but I do, it's the same thing with people that are online, their pad socks. Could they change their opinion and become better around the theory, you know, you know, with theory, with, you know, decolonization? Yeah, they could. So these people come around and say, hey, I was a pad sock, I fucked up. You know, they, I, I'm cool with that. Be like, okay, let's let's fuck with each other. You know what I'm saying? But there's people that say they're decolonial, and then they go to pat sock isms. And I'm like, ah. Uh, so it it goes back and forth. Shit goes back and forth, right? So I do say I don't just dismiss people's stuff. Just say, say like you have your hand up. Yeah. One guy tried to tell me one time that I should shut my opinion was invalid because he had been a part of DSA for like 40 years. And I was just like, so you haven't done a revolution in the past 40 years? You've done. So, so maybe maybe you're the one who's wrong here. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I cannot even begin to name like why are I why did you know workers in imploded? I think there's so many, many, many factors and it, this can be such a long conversation. Um, for once, I mean, I think the economist line just dominates any kind of labor, like all labor movement in the U.S., right? Uh, like trade unionist mentality, including worker centers, you know, which were created to address some of, uh, you know, the um, the failures of the union movement in the United States, but also brought in a lot of other problems, you know, having, for example, a worker board that, that didn't, that romanticized what it meant to develop worker leaders and, you know, did a very poor job actually developing workers as strategists. Um, you know, the labor movement in the U.S., right? We take we have workers to take a picture and do the presentations and do the public things, but we don't take the time to develop their leadership. Uh, we don't have a political line. We don't have political clarity. I mean, we are talking about... Um, we need to be able to to in order for 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 us to be successful at consolidating our resources in the same way that the right has been doing over the last 50 years we need to um you know engage in those conversations with each other and have our politics clearly spelled out really understand the root causes um you know then what what also happens is that most organizations in the country are not good at recruiting the support of the masses they do not they are not good at base building um and we are being forced to um create these uh containers for social movement in these violent structures which is the nonprofit structure uh, with its funding mechanisms, because also when you professionalize what it means to be an organizer, 
um, that comes with contradictions, right? When the when a political home becomes also a workplace, and you are forced to hire people not at the rate that they are ready, and they are uh, you know have developed that enough political clarity, but rather you are having to hire people based on a funding cycle. Um, you are going to recruit perhaps the people who are not going to be. We are not going to have enough time to really find those with the enough political clarity right so there's all these things that get in the way from the structures to the funding mechanisms to not having a political line to being organizing in the united states with the most isolated working class and people just being so comfortable and having you know katie's and hannah's like leading uh these organizations um that are supposed to um, lead the working class. Um, you know, there's just all these different things. And I think that a worker's dignity, which were exceptional uh, at a local level, um, but we were ultimately just one organization, right? We, uh, and we were not the, um, the norm in terms of the politics of um, our, like movement, quote unquote, movement landscape. Uh, the majority was, you know, rat lips, anarchists, um, you know, people who call themselves leftists, but they don't really have any, um, you know, values or work to show for. Um, and so, you know, not ha being a political minority also makes you um, a target. Thank you. Um, I guess, let's go to the next one because we've been almost an hour in this, <laughs> the first part. I think the next one will be kind of short. It's just my point of view, right? The next topic, topic two is anarchists. I actually uh, uh, took out quotes from one from Stalin's Anarchism or Socialism, right? And I took out um, several uh, quotes from Kropotkin's Kropotkin, uh, Anarchism. And it actually correlates to, even though he's an anarchist, he correlates to what Stalin says, his critiques of anarchism, which was, you know, the biggest one was, um, or, you know, Stalin points out that the, um, the differences between anarchism and Marxism is that anarchism focuses on the individual and uh, Marxism focuses on the masses, the good of the masses, right? And um, even though, in, Stalin points out that even though uh, anarchism's uh, was, you know, flies the banner of socialism, but that is still the enemy of Marxism, right? But, um, but you know, I have been a passive organized, now talking about organization, I have organized with anarchists, and I tried my best, right? And I do think that they are, I feel like they're not very well read on theory, or they just um, only read their own theory and they dismiss other theory. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know. So when people come to my, you know, social medias, podcast social medias, and they want me to like, you know, debate them about anarchism, I don't even bother, right? Guys tell me to read. I mean, like, so I used to be an anarchist when I was in high school and um, and what happened was I started reading, reading Marxist literature and I became a Marxist. I was like, oh, this she was dumb. What was I thinking? Right? It happens but, pretty immediately. <laughs> yeah, it does. You read one page and you're like, oh, I see. <laughs> one, one word. <laughs> it's like, hi. <laughs> but it's, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, how do you not, how do you, 
I don't understand how people claim to be, you know, revolutionary, but never read Marxist theory. I mean, like, uh, it's it's weird. It's it, yeah. Anybody else want to jump in? I'm just no. That's all. I it have is to say. very funny that all revolutions that see any type of success whatsoever always lead towards always eventually end up at marxism it's like whoa what's that all about i don't no matter where they start from across the world they always end up at marx how'd that happen cecilia you had your hand up yeah i mean i think that for me uh the one thing that um really moved me from being uh an anarcho-communist in a past life to uh leninist uh right now is thinking the answer to this one question is like how do we ensure that our people stay alive before and after um shit hits the fan right so how do we ensure that working class uh black indigenous people um, especially from oppressed genders um, how do we ensure that they stay alive right other than through very intentional structure and organization um, high discipline and ensuring that um, it's the leaders within the masses and within those specific sectors within our class like have the information and skills necessary to lead the masses for emancipation and like that their interests are going to be um, intentionally um, prioritized, right? So, because I don't want to live and I don't want to fight for a world like without the homies, right? Like that's just not something that I want to do. And just the tendency with anarchists, this decentralization, um, and also just, just it, it's just not sincere or authentic. Um, to me, uh, just not having structure, it just means that our organizations are going to be permeated by the culture of the dominant class. And that just means that um, it's going to be whoever has more resources. Um, you know, it's just a way for like middle class or trust fund, uh, what, like, you know, white people to com continue to hold power in our spaces. You know, that to me, that's what anarchism is. It's like, oh, I don't want to have any kind of hierarchy, you should not listen to Cecilia, you should listen to me. Um, that's kind of what I hear. Um, and I remember this one conversation with a, like a, a white middle class uh, anarchist, and we were talking about this, and I asked that question. So how do you ensure that, you know, my people stay alive? Um, and they they responded with, well, I think that we need to deracialize ourselves because race is not real. And um, I think that we're just putting too much emphasis on this um, race question. And we just need to be focusing on, on you know, like, um, you know, us in the movement as a whole or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, you're not a serious person, right? And that's just ultimately comes down to the fact that a lot of anarchists are just not serious people and are not really thinking of this. And, you know, when you add like, that, it's not the case for all of them because I have seen some of them at least recognize that one key problem with, um, you know, people who identify as anarchists is the fact that they are not tying the tactics to a greater strategy. And I mean, I think I've seen two anarchists perhaps like actually attempt to do so. But in general, like I don't see the like mutual aid is not revolutionary on its own. It's not radical on its own, right? It's only radical or revolutionary when you are using mutual aid 
to sustain greater popular movements, not when you are using it to pass it around your friends, to pass some resources around your friends and Venmo your friends, um, or it's not, you know, about, um, you know, surviving capitalism passively without a concrete plan to fight back. Um, so just that that's just a, a tendency that I see, you know, like this emphasis on tactics like direct action and whatnot without a clear strategy, without a long or short-term goal, which is just to me a huge waste of our time and energy. Yeah, Derek? Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, anarchism isn't real and it doesn't exist, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, that's about it. Like, you know, it's like, you know hey, when, uh, when you have anarchists, when you have, your, I don't know, not state some somewhere someday uh you know and you know we'll, we'll recognize you uh in that hypothetical situation where anarchists have seized uh i don't know i don't know what they would seize because that's not what they do i don't uh, uh yeah i, I really do, i think it's pretty unintuitive and uh it's like it's really funny how you know we're all talking about how you know you read one book and it's like it's like oh yeah that was a silly idea um I didn't have what I was just like full liberal. I I just jumped from liberal to to books about Marxism. So I, you know, it's not really too much of a difference, you know. Anyway, so I guess like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's real. Anarchism is not real. Anarchism is an incoherent ideology. Anarchism happens when you don't understand like the vastness of a world of eight billion people and the uh kind of complex interlocking of economic systems which allow us to like exist in the ways that we do anarchism is just liberalism uh both like spicy uh you're either a communist or a fascist and that like just because you're like an anti-fascist fascist doesn't mean you're not a fascist so i find it weird whenever like there's like native people that say they're anarcho-indigenists. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, you, you're saying you're pro-indigenous pro sovereignty, but the indigenous sovereignty means like governments from, for, you know, this, from these indigenous communities. You can't have that. You're an anarchist. The, the anarchism does not fit with our sovereignty. So it's like either you're pro for our sovereignty or not. You can't be an anarchist and be pro-indigenous sovereignty. Just saying. Right. But the next topic, <laughs> the next topic has to do with anarchists is topic three, uh, council culture, which happens within the organizations. And it's not just with anarchists, but anarchists like using council culture, right, to shut Marxists up. I noticed that they go like, oh, cancel this person, cancel that person. And it's to it's this weird stuff. So but there's different topics within this, this topic three. Uh, this community and accountability. What what are they? What what should they look like? Point B: the no investigation, just take gossip face value, which leads to C: slander and harassment. D: afraid of losing clout because they're afraid of losing clout. Or uh, E: for clout internet political influencers. Or F: advice suggestions. Oh yeah, that's advice suggestions. But yeah, sorry, I read too much. But uh, I think um, but these are things that. Uh, it, it's it's troubling within the community because I feel like sometimes we didn't really cover it in the first point, but sometimes there's like clicks within organizations, right? And you try to bring accountability to a certain person, and they can protect it from that from within their click, right? Or their their little circle. 
but um, I think Cecilia, you were somebody that um, recently dealt with this. It was like uh, no investigation. There was just like people talking about you. No investigation means that can you can you talk about this? What does no investigation mean? I don't want to talk too much. What does this mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I think like it, me it means listening to completely believing what somebody, not a first source, says about a person and just, I mean, I mean, no investigation just means like not actually doing your research into a topic, right? Like not actually engaging in um, the steps necessary for you to answer a particular question and you just take whatever you read. Um, and, I mean, it comes from um, Mao, right? But the way that I am using it in this in this context um, is this one experience that I had, right? I, I was recently um, the target of a... Um, pretty nasty in public, like character assassination campaign. And um, there was a public letter being issued by uh, the board that uh, fired me. Um, and they asked the quote unquote activist community to sign it, right? And it didn't get a lot of signatures, but um, one thing I noticed is that people will sign the letter without even reading, without even asking me directly about whether the rumors were true, whether asking me for evidence, people just signed it. And I actually started to have conversations with people, like, for example, with this guy who would like consistently like hit on me on my DMs, but he had signed the letter and like, he would like hit on me, like actually like at, at 2 AM. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you signing this letter? You're doing like go away right um and he was like oh i hadn't read in the letter it's just that they're my friends so i just um sign it without uh, without actually reading it and now that i read it i am really concerned and i was like it's not even the only person that did it and so we have this tendency um in the left to not actually uh confront people directly um, you know, one of the groups that uh, really um, had my back throughout this whole thing is a student group that we supported um, its incubation, a student group of like college students um, at this particular university um, in town. And I remember that we had been working for about three months and one day they reach out and they say, Cecilia, we heard these rumors about you. And so can you please clear them up? next time that we meet. And I was like, yeah. Uh, so like in two weeks or so, um, they had this meeting. It was like about 20 students. And at one point they're like, Cecilia, uh, can we talk to you? And so they interrogated me like, and it was a little bit intimidated. I'm not gonna lie, intimidated. I'm not gonna lie, right? So 20 students and they just asking me, but I appreciated that because that was, a, they were at least reaching out to me directly. They were asking me for evidence. They were trying to get to the source of what the issue was and they you know it left us trusting each other a lot more and so when like shit hit the fan um they actually had my back right and so so many people were dismissing them saying oh well they're just a bunch of immature students whoever supports cecilia um you know not even taking into account that nearly 100 percent of our active membership also supported me um but I mean, I'm just saying like, okay, if they're so immature and also the members did that and asked me for evidence, 
if they're so immature, like then why were they, they actually had the emotional intelligence to come to me and ask me and, um, you know, confront me face to face? Because all of these people that were canceling me, like I saw some of them recently, they were all at a coffee shop uh, and they didn't even look at me in the eyes. And I'm like, how can you be canceling me? So and how can you be? Uh, taking my job and having all these issues with me, but you have an opportunity. I'm here in person at this coffee shop. Can you come and tell me to my face all of the things? Can you confront me uh, to actually like, you know, but no, it's all done um, in back doors. It's all done in DMs. Um, that's where they wage their fight. So that means that, you know, they don't have the truth on their side if you have to hide in order for, and if you have to do conduct everything online. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I say when like no investigation or how it applies to this, to this example. Still. So I, I feel that the problem is twofold, right? First off, you've got a fear of confrontation, and secondly, you've got the post hoc. Uh, you've got post hoc justification of already held beliefs, right? Um, a lot of people in in this particular situation, for as an example, a lot of these uh, people just already didn't like Cecilia based off of stuff that they had heard from people that they did that they did like. And so when people that they did like told them to sign a letter, they decided to do it. And after doing that, they then used uh, whatever they felt they needed to to justify that choice, right? I was good friends with two people who signed the letter who had advocated, uh, had fought tooth and nail for uh, the addition of a restorative and transformative justice program within the local DSA chapter uh, in Nashville to protect their uh, their friend who had emotionally abused another member from uh, fr from becoming ostracized, from becoming a pariah, uh, and then they went on to sign this letter to get Cecilia fired from her job based on shit that like they didn't even seek to confirm the stories about so like what does that tell me that tells me that these people are not interested in actual principles actually holding principle positions actually acting on those principles these people are uh these these people are interested whole, uh in doing the things that they already wanted to do and then justifying it using social justice language so that they look good afterwards right they uh <laughs> it's frustrating it's deeply frustrating i uh you know i'm still mourning the uh years i wasted uh in this community i thought shared shared my values but uh then you've also got the fear of confrontation uh, people do. People are terrified of like the idea that they'll have to disagree with somebody, like face to face. And w w why is that uh, in American culture? I mean, I could postulate. Uh, maybe it's because they're afraid that they're going to get a gun pulled on them. Maybe it's because they're afraid that they'll have to uh, you know hum humble themselves and actually admit that they're wrong maybe it's that they'll have to question their beliefs and they don't want to question their beliefs it's 
it's a scary thing admitting that you're wrong. I I can't really say, but it does come across as just like an absolute allergy to uh, any sort of confrontation. No, of course, they're not going to talk to you in the coffee shop, Cecilia. They are fucking terrified of the idea that, uh, I don't know, you and I think that's it. I think that is the problem is that they have no idea what could happen because we don't have, you know, a culture of being confrontational with people in a, in a society so predicated on immense violence. It's incredible that we have no ability to actually have a disagreement with another person, like a, a, any kind of confrontation, any kind of, uh, uh just conflict that's the idea conflict we have no ability to handle conflict in our personal lives mm -hmm. so, so you have your hand up yeah and it's all part of the, you know the liberalism that has been like permeated in our spaces for the last um way more than 50 years but also i mean when you're what that tells me is that when we are afraid of confrontation, I mean, to me, it can mean that you're afraid either to lose clout or to not be in good standing with your friends, right? You're, you want to be in good standing with your friends. You want to preserve your comfort. And that comes before um, that comes before your principles, that comes before the actual objectives of um, our class. Like, are we trying to actually liber like, are we actually trying to uh, win or, or what? Like, what's going to happen? Um, and people just don't want to win. At the end of the day, they don't want to win. They want to continue with their friends. They want to continue with their cloud. They want to keep their seats at their nonprofits. Um, and you know that's also why um you know we see a whole movement that is very focused and concentrated with just like you know getting more votes for the democrats like that's all related i feel like there's also like a little tinier phenomenon is the people that go online and they become like the no no investigation like like they, they become like spreading these rumors like loud about it for clout itself like look what i'm doing i'm standing up against this person you know and it's like they're using that like for this for example like every year there's somebody new that comes attacks me online over my stance on chicanismo right and they think they're like doing something new right or something like they're going to take me down or something i'm like dude like i've addressed this like <laughs> so many years ago just go go read <laughs> like just like anarchist go read please <laughs> you know or but i think this is this is actually what brought me and Derek together because I've noticed Derek for a while and, I, you know, Derek will pay attention to me, I'll pay attention to Derek, but there's people in our inboxes and in our DMs that were like, don't talk to Derek, he's fucked up. And there's people that go in Derek's inbox and don't talk to Rick, he's fucked up. And I mean, they were like, hey, man, like, what's going on here? So we start talking and I was like, hey, dude, this is a cool dude. <laughs> Let's work together. Right. But like, but even so, like Derek. I talk to Derek, I'm like, hey, should I say this online or is this too much? And as a comrade, he tells me, no, maybe you're taking it too far, right? Or maybe, you know, maybe we should just block this person. I told, and Derek tells me this, or I told Derek, that just block this person. We should just focus on the real work, right? Not about bickering online, not about spreading these beefs or spreading rumors or whatever. And I think that's what good comrades do. They, they keep each other in check. Even so, like I, I, I've told stories on this podcast where, there's people, you know, 
on on the ground that I, you know in person that I invited to my house. I invited them for dinner, and I would tell them, "Hey, man, if I criticized you on this position, notice that I'm not doing it because I think you're a bad person. I'm doing it because I think you have a really fucked up position on this topic, right?" And they'll tell me, like, "Oh, you know, sometimes the best friends." Can criticize each other and the next week they're still spreading like crazy shit i'm like oh, you know i'm done with you right uh so i'm just like you know i, I try to have you I fed, I fed you did i made dinner i fed you you know i had you in my house you know and you still are thinking stupid shit it's time to let go of your hand you know but you know but the difference between some of these people is that they go to like these like oh rick's fucked up Rick. and all these like no investigation bullshit well i'm just like i'm just gonna ignore you i'm gonna go do some real shit Right, express some real shit, not uh, this re immature version of like. I think I think that no investigation, um, uh, you know, uh, these rumors or whatever, you know, harassment, slander is spread throughout the internet. It's like this tactic that everybody uses. But you know, at the end of the day, who has done it the longest? The seller state. Whenever there's something going on in North Korea, you hear about this. You know, North Korea, they're eating grass. Or here in Iran, this and that. China, they're they're you know they're mon monitoring all their citizens. They're, they're so fucked up. Oh, look at look over here, Hugo Chavez, now Maduro. They're so fucked up. You know, so the U.S. is the master of this. The CIA is the master of doing this, right? And our own citizens have you, you know have uh, it's kind of like you know when when the kids watch the parents do something that's you know toxic, they they take that trait. It's the same shit. Right, the American citizens are just doing the same shit as the settler state is doing, spreading rumors and being stupid as fuck. Uh, steal. Yeah, I think um, that point about just uh, the attempts to condemn condemn you for what eight year old positions that you've since changed on or um, have clarified uh, because they're operating off misunderstandings of your positions. Uh, it's the, it's kind of the inverse of like condemning people for not speaking out on every single issue. Your silence on this issue speaks such volumes. It's just like the most rancid Twitter culture that, <laughs> that there is. I hate it. I hate it. On I'm not on there anymore. I barely, I, I'm never on there anymore. And every time I am, it's all just fucking, uh, drama and clout chasing. And I'm just like, why are y'all? why are y'all doing that this is not revolutionary but that's the beautiful thing is that like in the real world there are eight billion people out here okay there are eight billion other people walking around out here in nashville alone there's six million people cecilia and i don't have to be worried about this organizing community that has so uh that has tried so hard to ostracize her and uh by extension me for standing by her it's not a um it's it, we don't have to fight over the same eight grams of clout that <laughs> that like they're carrying along with them there are so many other people out there who have never heard of black nashville assembly never heard of mill tennessee dsa never heard of workers dignity we don't need to uh worry about them and what they're doing we can go just down the street and do the same thing but better and correct and then if we just keep doing that, we will prove ourselves to be correct. So like if there aren't any organizations out there that you feel like are waging the real fight, then you can get together with two or three of your comrades who you think are legitimately uh, 
concerned with liberation, invested in liberation, and y'all can get together and just do the work yourselves and just move that forward. And eventually, and if you're doing it correctly, then you will prove yourself correct by the uh, results that you achieve. And then like, they'll either, they'll have the choice to either stagnate and die or come crawling back and uh, <laughs> join your, back to join your organization. And of course you have to be magnanimous and say, yes, please, I do need help, come. Cecilia. <laughs> No, totally. I mean, I think that just to add on. That's the to... only thing that motivates me. <laughs> it's proving other people are wrong. No, it's not. Liberation. Liberation now. Liberation forever. Just to like tie into what you were saying about cancel culture and like tying it back to when we say that, you know, normal people are completely, uh, you know, our spaces are not meant for normal people. I also remember this conversation, right, with one of these one person, uh, they, you know, are going to an elite college and Sometimes we've had issues in these spaces with people that come from um, elite colleges um, or just like an, you know, upper middle class people, they come, you know, we organize low wage workers and sometimes they're, you know, very, um, you know, not polished, right? In, in the sense of uh, they're definitely not woke. A lot of them is the first time they step into an organization, into a grassroots organization ever. Um, and sometimes they have, you know, issues with ideas and, um, you know, people, you know, this person from an elite college was saying, hey, why are you holding, why are you not holding people accountable? Like, what if a person says something that is, you know, um, you know, transphobic or what if they say something that is, you know, um, you know, uh, very machista of them. Um, and I'm like, well, this is a time for us to educate the person and like reach out to them and like work on this process, right? Like, but we struggle alongside the person. And then the person was like, oh, but like that, that is so hard. Like that means that you have to basically change and work with the person until they like completely change the way that they see the world. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's the point, right? Like that's that's really, really the point, right? And we're really looking at organizing working class people. So we gotta freaking do that. But they um, accused us of trying to cancel people. They accused you of trying to cancel people though. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, that, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a whole thing. Um, but I think that that was that's a, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I think. Um, and so it, it goes to the next next topic. Uh, Derek, do you have anything to say before we go to the next topic? Well, about cancel culture, no investigation. No. no. Okay. Uh, so it goes to the next topic. Uh, which is part part topic three, but it, it, I think it goes really well with topic four. The community and accountability. What what are they? What sh what should they look like? But it also goes with how to give and receive criticism, right? Um, and uh, having a support system, right? Because obviously, you're if you're an organization that's uh, you're working with people, there's gonna have to be uh, you're gonna have support. There should be you should have support by people, right? If somebody says something, there should be an investigation, or they, or you know, there should be like, hey, you know, I don't like so and so the way I don't know. People just buy something, don't vibe together, right? But uh, sometimes, you know, um, people like, if, for example, let's say somebody interrupts too much, right? How do you say, hey, man, you you interrupt people too much, right? I'm just giving an example, right? I'm just giving a really small example, but how do you tell somebody? How do you give a criticism, and how do you? How do you take criticism too? Like, 
Let me join this question up there. Because I feel like some people don't know how to take the criticism, right? And they see it as a personal attack when everybody has to grow. I had friends tell me, I don't like this and this about you. And I reflect on it and I change my behavior, right? So, yeah, I mean, we all do this shit. It's part of growing up, part of maturing. But some people, this is what's hard about um Going back to the first point with Celia, the very first topic is collectivism. Is when you're part of a collective, part of an organization, part of a community, you have to understand that your behavior sometimes it doesn't vibe right with people because you have, you know, it's it's really it's grotesque sometimes. You know, be very aggressive or very dismissive. Maybe you know what I'm saying. So you have to be like, hey man, I'm I'm offending people. How do we? So how do we receive these criticisms? Uh, Steel. I have had the gift of a lot of criticism in my life because I'm loud and put myself forward a lot and um, enjoy being out in front. And so it's just, I, I just make myself very visible. Uh, and that's the thing is that first and foremost, criticism has to be a gift. It has to be received as a gift. We should always seek to like, desire to better ourselves anytime anybody brings something to us. It's because they believe that we can be better than the thing that they're criticizing that we deserve better from ourselves than that but also it has to be given as a gift you have to be offering it to the person just as like hey i think that you can do better than this and i want that for you and i want that for your community and so um one time i was at a uh discussion uh, it was just kind of a big circle, like 50 people. And I tried to like interject and ask a question. And then I got told, uh, and I got told by the facilitator that I should, uh, that, that I need to step back. And then I just bowled right through the facilitators, <laughs> uh, correct, correcting me. And then I, he did not let it go. He's, he just stayed on me. It was like, no, no, you got to just, just step back, just step back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I realized I was making an ass of myself. And, oh, I'm, not, I'm sucking up the space and I'm not letting other people say the things that they need to say, that they want to say, letting them engage in the conversation as much. And so I need to I need to do that for uh, for them and for myself. And so just like the culture of our criticizing and uh being criticized needs to be such that we are happy to receive and happy to give yeah thank you for that i think one 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 thing is like uh sometimes people are afraid i think another thing i noticed some people are afraid to give criticism to another comrade uh that they're close to because they feel like this comrade's kind of like stop fucking with them and you shouldn't be have that fear right uh, and I think that's, I've seen this a lot within organizing. I think, no, we have to say something, right? And um, and I think as, it's not even within organizing, organizing, just as a friendship. Like if you have a friend that can tell you, hey man, you're, 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 not being, you're not being right right now. You're acting up or your behavior is unacceptable. Are they really your friend? And this is the basic of human, you know, like interactions. Going into the space, you know, use an example as a space in organizing and, we should be able to say, hey, man, you should not be hitting on, on, on women within the organization. This is not appropriate behavior, right? Which happens a lot, you know, which is a whole different conversation. No, you should not be, you know, coming to these spaces intoxicated, 
right? You should not be, you know, uh, speaking over people or making people feel lower or, or talking down to people. There are new, new people within organizations, right? All these things that I've seen before, I think these are things that um, it's okay. I mean, like you might be embarrassed, you know, and we've all felt, you know, embarrassment, but I think it's okay to feel that, but it's okay, but it's, it's even better to change these, these behaviors, right? So, yeah. Any, anybody else? And it also comes from like the beginning, right? I think we come into these spaces with um, I, a lack of understanding of not uh, of how much we don't know and humility. Like I like I call it, we don't honor where we're at in the process of development, and so people. Um, are afraid of making mistakes. And we need to create a culture within organization that is like, it's totally okay to fuck up, but it is not okay to not learn from your fuck ups, right? Um, you must be able to reflect on how did you, um, you know, where did you go wrong and like how to address that behavior, right? We are trying to grow. Um, so we need to start coming into organizations and create that culture of like, hey, it is okay to make mistakes, make spaces for reflection. You know, like, do you have any lessons uh, back, at, you know, when I was at Workers' Dignity? Um, we, you know, we used to do at uh, the end of the day, everybody would say, like, what did you learn? And so everybody would say whatever, like, what did we learn? So we stopped doing that. And instead, what we started to focus on is like, if we needed to pick three people at the end of the meeting that actually had some serious lessons to learn, right? Like, maybe they lied about something. Uh, or they put something wrong, like they one person lied about how money, how much money they were owed, and they, for good reasons, they were like, oh, you know, I really wanted to give you all this money and donate the difference of how much I was owed, and if I won my case, I wanted to give it back to the organization, and we were like, absolutely not, like you cannot lie about this, right? You cannot lie about how much money you were owed, like that's a huge liability for us, and it's just like not principled, and so. You know, we will pick cases like that. And then he will come, you know, in front of everybody and be like, you know, I made a mistake. So, you know, I am going to retract. We are going to make it up this way. Uh, and that was a lesson that I, I learned about doing that. And so we will pick three cases like that at the end of the night of like a type of lesson that actually reflected bravery. And we just had a space where we people would be like, you know, that it's okay. That is a fuck up, but that's okay. Uh, so just having that from that moment, I think... Uh, if you have that kind of culture, it will be a lot easier to start giving and receiving feedback. I think I self-admitting too, like you have to admit you did something wrong, right? When it comes to this criticism, a lot of people don't like to admit they did something wrong. They're like, no, fuck it, that person deserved it. It's like, uh, I don't know about that. You know, like you can't be rugged with everybody, you know? And I, this is, like, this is a really long conversation, um, but uh, I mean, like, obviously when you have an organization, you have a support system, you can talk to people. I think if somebody, I do want to talk about this real quick. Uh, we should be there for each other. If somebody confines information in you and ask you for, you know, you know uh, some kind of um, mental or emotional support, like, hey, I'm going to a situation, maybe their family member has passed, I'm saying, or maybe they're going to break up, or maybe they're having issues with another another um, comrade. Like you, you listen to it, but try to be like, unless it's, and this is very serious, unless it's a sexual assault. But you know, I, I would say maybe try to be unbiased, right? And be like, okay, maybe try to give advice, but don't 
like canceling with you know be like or trying to take size and then creating this whole organization where size get taken i feel like that always happens it kind of happened with you right Celia? like one person took it too far and then people start picking sides with each other and then and it was like oh cecilia's you know fuck that because she's a marxist i saw that very quick the moment you said you're a marxist on, <laughs> on instagram it was like down you know all that you know so it was like it was like pick a side it was like a pick a side uh, which side do you want, Cecilia's side or our, or my side? And it's a, to me, that's a really shitty behavior when it comes to organizing, especially with um, when you want to organize with anarchists, going back to anarchist topic, you know, uh, and you want to do work, but it's always like side, 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 when it should be working together against capitalism, against the seller state, you know, to better the community, to do work for the community, not to pick sides with this fucking org and, you know, and, and you know, um, yeah, I mean, you want to pick sides like this, you know, uh, it's just weird to me. It's weird behavior, unless you're playing basketball or it's like some baseball or something like, we pick a side, so you got to pick you, you know, but other than that, like, why are we picking sides in the same organization? You know, that's not really, go ahead. I mean, everything tells you here, people who were canceling me, the activist community, often middle-class people, elite college graduates, um, uh, people from the professional managerial class, uh, a few Zionists sprinkle in the mix. Uh, so it has a class character, right? Like even the things that we feel shame about, like we we forget that, you know, if we want to build power, there's three different levels, right? Like we uh, should be building a base, right? We in demand, then we call, and then we build an infrastructure. We put, um, we consolidate resources and ultimately we engage in this uh, cultural battle, right? You know, we, uh, forget that whoever controls, um, wh whichever class dominates um, the, the 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 economy, also dominates the common sense, right? Like what gets spread. I think Derek was um, talking about that earlier. Um, and so, you know, we forget that our ideas, our morality, everything, what we feel shame of, has a class character, right? It's it, it comes from uh, the oppressive class, and so. It tells you everything about the fact that the literally nine over ninety five percent or more of of our membership of the low wage workers that conform our membership, the people who actually have a stake on the campaigns winning, on the us reaching a, 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 our goals as an organization, they were on our side, right? Meanwhile, the activist community that honestly like. What does it matter for them? They are not low wage workers. They are homeowners. They are people who are comfortable in the economy. It is incredibly inappropriate that they have anything to say. And so also like the 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 cancel culture is also a symptom or like a manifestation of the class culture of our movement right now. Um, because it just means that we don't want to win. It's like cancel culture is perpetuated by people who just don't want to win. And the people who don't want to win are often people who are benefited by the fact that our movements are not winning. Yeah, I um, think that the <clears throat> a big part of that is just that that con it goes back to that uh, conflict diverse nature within that cult culture um, because they want to spend their time socially in spaces where. Uh, people around them ha share share beliefs with them. They don't want to be questioned about basic things. They don't want to have to confront people about basic things. They just want to be able to just, like 
uh, go to space and uh, have that same, have that echo, uh, you know, just surround them. And they don't, they're more invested in, in the comfort that that provides than they are in like the gain, the, the potential gains of like, creating that better world you know when when they say oh it's a multi-generational struggle that's just a it's just an excuse for why nothing is happening right now when they say oh you have to be the change you want to see in the world they just mean that you have to be hoity-toity uh and and perfect (laughs) you know when they say uh oh we have to build uh that world that we want to see it's just that it's just them saying that like they have to provide that comfort for themselves and those around them uh in the short term and not have to deal with the uh you know scary realities of the oppression and uh the uh just the oppression around them they don't want to they, they, they don't want to think about it any more than any of these other liberal fucks do but you know, here we are. It it, I, it it lends to a uh movement which doesn't move. It's a stag. It's it's a stagnation. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, one one big thing that uh, I, even I realized within you know starting this podcast is that when people do like the whole cancel thing, at the end of the day, I talk talk to myself and I say, hey man, when I go back to my, to my organizations, you know, like these in person organization, I tell them, hey, I was dealing with this this week. And all they will say is like, hey, you have some weird haters. But I, I noticed that whatever happens online is not going to get me canceled in my in-person organizations. That's not going to happen. It's not going to make me get disenrolled from the Comanches. I'm always going to be Comanche. My kids are going to be Comanche and their kids are going to be Comanche. So like, well, I don't know what these people are trying, what their goal is. And I think like, it's almost like a waste of time, like it's for them to, to you know, come at me. And I'm like thinking to myself, why why are you coming after me when there's like I'm not even the problem? I'm just pointing out like the research, right? I, I I give people free stuff. I think this is just a waste of time for you. You should be in person. And, and then whenever I go in person to these organizations, I think to myself, why was I why was like why why did it upset me for this stuff, you know, to read online? So <clears throat> my advice is like don't let the shit online upset you. Just fucking block. I always tell people just block ignore like i'm here like i i will criticize somebody but like i always say like unless they're ready to listen and learn i don't care they're dead to me like i'm here to give up my information my research and if if you want to believe their dumb shit then that's you man i'm sorry like you eventually you will grow you i think people will grow out of like the pat sock shit and realize that you know like for example it's you know decolonization decolonial theory has its merits and it's more refined than you know seller nationalism right obviously and i think that that's what the work me and Derek are trying to do and um uh steal. And yeah, that does apply in real life as well. Yeah. It's just like you don't you like there's no block button for your uh for your ex friend, but yeah. you can just like ignore them and keep on organizing your workplace. They don't work with you, just keep organizing your workplace. They don't live in your neighborhood, keep organizing your neighborhood. They don't go to your church, just keep organizing your church. Like you, there are eight million people, eight billion people in this world. You don't have to be concerned with everyone who doesn't think bad, think think well of you. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, for example, I want to give one example. I had, a, you know, part of an organization that 
the one member that says something like really shitty about North Korea, how North Korea is brainwashed and all this other shit, the, the pro-CIA shit, right? And I was like, maybe you should look into this. Maybe you should read this book. Maybe you should read about this theory, you know? And it, it was weird because they are what they were in a left, you know, communist org. And they were saying these things. I was thinking to myself, this person will eventually like, you know, grow out of it. Um, but the, the major, the majority of the org was not they don't have the same ideas as this person i thought to myself well you know hopefully everybody here can make this person grow right and i'm not gonna be like hey everybody fuck this guy he hates north korea no man what the fuck you know so it's, it's a waste of my time you know it's a waste of time it's a waste of energy hating on somebody and I, I did say hey man maybe you should read this and that you know i'm not the expert in north korea there's other people but i was like hey maybe you should go read that stuff you know i'm not the expert but you know i don't have to be the expert either but i think that opinion is kind of weird Derek, you've been quiet for a while. Do you want to say something or? Oh, no. No, uh, no. Uh, you're on a roll there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think um, what we have left is uh, Celia put uh, the view that all workers, uh, there's, a, there's a thing that's like uh, the view that all workers are victims. You want to talk about that? Or that, that the fact of view? No, I mean, I just like, it's, 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 it's one of the observations that we've had. I mean, I think that um, one of the reasons why I thought that still would be a good perspective to bring is that still is quite literally a low wage worker, right? That we say that we care about. In Not anymore, baby. Day. I'm making that good money these days. Hey, baby, what? <laughs> 24 an hour? Oh, and benefits. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, you know, like, so all of our, everybody, all of our organizations in town, especially, you know, um, you know, the Central Labor Council and like the unions and all these orgs saying, you know, we care about low wage workers and we care about essential workers and whatnot. But as soon as these workers have something to say, now we see this, right? Like as soon as, you know, still voice criticisms about the labor movement here in town, um, you know, one of the people that works for the Central Labor Council is like, get out of my city, right? And so it's like, we want- I literally workers. worked on this man's lawn. I literally fucking did work in this man's yard. <laughs> I was I was a part of a construction, a landscaping co-op that did work in this man's yard. I took a shit in his toilet and he tells me that, I, my, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not allowed to give my opinion on the fucking community I've been organizing in for three years. Fuck you, Sam Petulant. Petulant. <laughs> Nah, yeah, right. so I mean, we just want like uh, it just tells me, especially because it's the same crowd that workers' dignity's founders like are in, right? These, you know, like uh, professional managerial class um, of people that romanticize workers as long as they are victims, as long as they are posing for their photo op as long as they are, you know, just dependent on them. But as soon as they are independent, they have their own opinions and they voice them, then it's a it's about getting the fuck out of their city, right? Um, and so it just it's, it's a, a white man city. telling an indigenous person to get out of his city. Fuck you. <laughs> that's a problem. I mean, that's uh we see that a lot. <laughs> I mean it's a it's a rampant issue. Uh thank you for that. Um and so I, would, I really want to recap really quick, or maybe, you know, the last thing here is this, the, the advice of, you know, typed out, don't ever overextend yourself, do the best you can, there's a balance. 
uh, you know, something I told, you know, Derek when we came on the podcast was like, you know, focus on yourself. Don't, don't feel free. I mean, don't feel obligated to respond right away. Like, you know, take breaks and tell me when you can, you're too busy. Like this is same thing with organizing. If, you know, you want to do your best, but sometimes you have to take care of yourself, man. You have to take care of your family. You have to take care of, you know, your kids. And uh, sometimes, you know, I feel like there's people that, guilt trip others to do more than they can and you should be doing this you should be donating to this and it's just like yo like make make sure that people in your org are okay before you tell them to overextend themselves you know and i think that's that's the issue too i see and it's like uh you shouldn't guilt trip somebody especially somebody that's like a single parent that's taking care of the kids you can't tell them you have to organize you have to do this when they're overwhelmed already you know and it's it's hard you can't you can't do that like we, we do want a revolution, but we don't want to just, you know, uh, oh, I don't know. Like, Are you providing child care at your organizing meetings? Exactly. Shut up about what single mothers should do. Exactly. So it, it's 100% on that. And I think that's the issue. It's like, uh, but that's part of being community. If they, if they really cared, they really wanted more pe- people to do more, they would help as a community, as an organization to be, to be their support system for that so just saying anybody else before we move forward do the reading do the reading <laughs> read the fucking books it's <laughs> just read them i know you hear it all the time just do it though read the read the books they're good books you'll enjoy them they'll your your brain will explode with all the new perspectives and knowledge that you have it's fun it's it's like an orgasm but in your head and it's just, you know, study groups are good too. I mean, just a balance within organizing. There's like, you know, doing work for the community, study groups, and there's like, you know, self-defense, you know, uh, the self-defense is very important. It's under, underrated a lot. So like, uh, but that's a different topic. But um, so to close out, I hope people don't get discouraged from organizing. I hope when they hear this, they say, hey, I went through that kind of stuff. And they continue to build, you know, with the community continue to build within their organization and not be like i just i want to quit because i know people that had just quit they were like i never want to do organizing again and they're young they're like in their 30s i'm like why like this is like you're just gonna live your whole life just like not doing anything even though you're a marxist to me it's kind of weird right and I, i do know that people do have really bad experiences uh and i think that that's that's an issue too, but I think because of all these factors within Western organization, you know, within organizing within the West, you know, in the settler states, and I, I said in the beginning um, that the state wants us to be disorganized. They want us to be uneducated or ignorant to the issues, and they it thrives on it thrives on the workers not wanting to organize properly. It wants it thrives on the workers to be complacent on just living and watching Netflix all day after work or something, you know? And I think, um, or, you know, I think that's that's the problem of being in super individualist cultures. I think we should encourage our family members, our friends to organize, invite them to, you know, um, to organizing. At the same time, I think, you know, some organizations, and this is a, maybe a little bit off topic, organizations just do study groups, they just do community work, but they don't know how to hang out after all of this. They don't, not, it's weird, it's, it's a weird thing. I talk about it, I've talked about it before. Like they don't know how to have just a barbecue together, right? And I think there's something that's missing, right? Just getting, getting together, have, sharing a meal, 
I think that even with the organizing, at least one organization in San Diego that's doing a really good job, you know, in, in that. They actually had a barbecue, a bunch of communists. And I was like, this is fucking good, you know. But they do work at the same time, you know. And I think that's, I admire that from that organization. You know, they do safety, they do work, they do self-defense. And it's just, uh, it's amazing, right? And I think when you find organizations like that, it's just, they're just like jewels, you know. So, yeah. Anybody, any, any words? That means we need more of them. Yeah. And then we need to be on the same page because that's the first step. Like right now we're just talking about organizing a successful project to begin with, um, which to me, it's only about developing the leaders uh, that we need, that we need to prioritize. And that to me is like black and indigenous people from working class backgrounds uh, that need to be prioritized. Um, and you know, they are never going to be full strategists if we don't have, if they don't have the experience with campaigns and with theory as well. Um, and the emotional intelligence to actually help them grow. Uh, but then ultimately we need to um, get all these projects, all these organizations that are somewhat successful. Like we need to put our heads together and consolidate our resources because that's, you know, getting it right once is only the first step. Any closing closing remarks? The workers are so hungry for the truth. They want it. And they will recognize it if you present it to them. The workers are not stupid. They understand the way that the world is. They're just wrapped up in their lives. And... They're in pain because of the world and the way it is. So if you just show them the truth, then they will recognize it. And it might take a couple of times, but like that disillusionment will fall away and they will see that, you know, change is possible in their own lives and in the world at large. We have to believe in the workers. We have to believe in the people as much as we believe in ourselves. And I think that that's the problem is that a lot of people don't believe in themselves. Uh, even those of us who are organizers, we don't believe in ourselves. I believe in you. Believe in the me that believes in you. <laughs> and take that and just a better world is possible. Uh, and it's our and it is absolutely our requirement to bring it about because the alternative is so terrible. So just do your best, please yeah. to just do, do that. But you have to actually do something right. Actually, actually do something. Talk to your neighbors. Derek, close your remarks. Yeah, I just want to, um, I I just have been uh, seeing so much so many parallels between South Africa and here, and just watching the EFF a lot. Uh, they're not, um, you know, they're not quite there to where they're able to overtake the ANC in the parliament, um, but they, you know, they they organized a general strike. Um, 
yeah they uh as a party i feel like i see them like as as something to strive for here and uh here in, in this hemisphere as like being able to address all really they just uh i've seen them able to address just about everything you know for, from economic issues uh to expropriation and uh and reordering of colonial society uh, undoing the legacy of colonialism uh and and social rights you know lgbt uh cube rights and um yeah just yeah just stuff that i just i feel like they're um they're just a great example of the great great model for uh what we could do here uh in terms of like what, what our parties could strive for in terms of like having the courage to uh address uh, as an organization um you know the colonial question or you know all of those things uh all of those uh issues i mentioned uh but yeah yeah i just wanted to close out with that just I'd, I'd like more people to look at the EFF um, and see what they can learn from them. Thank you. Yeah, so I hope, you know, there's no, like I said in, like I said in the beginning, there's no, like, we don't, there's no, like, a how to organize when you're, like, you know, a, a young, you're, like, 18, 19, 20, getting into these spaces. Because I think young people are always the, the most motivated, right? They want to go into the world and change the world, right, for the better. And I think there's no how to do this and they enter these spaces and sometimes they get burned out, you know, and I think, I mean, it happened to me, it happened to me when, you know, like so many years ago and I had all these experiences, you know, and I was like, is this how it is? Is this how the left is? I actually questioned if I was a Marxist because of all of these problems within Marxist organiz organizations. I was like, is this how, what Marxist is? Is this, you know, what's going on? But eventually I just, found, you know, and came to the conclusion that, um, that, you know, it's just a symptom within the West, right? And it's up to us to make it better, right? So I hope people that are, you know, going to organize or, or have gone through some bad experiences can be like, hey, like, let me find other spaces or let me find, let me help people with, with their issues in, within the spaces and, you know, be more open-minded and be more receptive to, you know, criticisms and, and, you know, and, and you bettering the organization. So we'll try. Like, you just, just like everybody says here, says try your best and, you know, thank you everybody for your time. So please don't hang up yet. Let me stop recording. Solidarity forever. <laughs>